For the rest of us, we're going to turn over to John chapter 9. John, the ninth chapter. All of us know that assumptions can be quite a dangerous thing. There was an example of a photographer for a national magazine. He was assigned to get photos of a great, big, very, very large forest fire. Smoke in the scene was hampering him, keeping him from getting the job done. So he asked his office to hire a plane, and arrangements were made. And a plane was waiting for him at the airport. And when he arrived, the airport, the plane was warming up and near the runway. So he jumped in with his equipment and yelled, let's go. The pilot swung the plane into the, into the wind, and they soon they were in the air. They were flying. As he said, he said, I want you to fly over the north side of the fire three or four times low passes. I need to, I need to uh, get to the north side. So he said, well, why are we doing three or four low passes over the fire? He says, well, I'm a photographer. I need to take pictures. He says, you mean you're not the flight instructor? Now, see, assumptions can get you hurt. <laughs> We've got to make sure that we don't do some assumptions. In John chapter 9, we look at a story where we see some assumptions that are in play. And we ask this question. We've been on this, this series here of victory for doubters, overcoming the things that come against us by doubting the right things and believing the right things. Because doubt always produces faith, and faith always produces doubt. Always. If I have faith in God, then I doubt the things of the world. If I have faith in the world, then I doubt the things of God. If I believe the reports that come to me from other sources and don't believe what the Word of God says, then I believe one producing a doubt in the other. The last couple of weeks we've been looking at the will of God aspect of this because, as Brother Hagen used to teach us, faith begins... Where the will of God is known. And if we don't know what the will of God is or if we're confused on the will of God, then that will have an effect upon our faith. We looked first of all at Mephibosheth. We saw that Mephibosheth had a certain idea of who God was. But that was a wrong idea. Or I'm sorry, who David was. That was a wrong idea. It was based on what other people told him. And it didn't, didn't help the situation. He had to unlearn that. And that, of course, came about. Last week we were looking at location. So often we were looking at the location of things. Where I am. Am I in the right place so that God can bless me? But a lot of times God isn't caring about where I am as much as He caring about who I am. Now in John chapter 9, I put this question in your outline. Have we accepted that what we have is what God wants? Have we accepted that what we have is what God wants? In John chapter 9, verse 1, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, in this question, we see that there's an assumption. This assumption comes from the disciples. It's something that has been taught to them. and It's an assumption that a lot of us have when we go to God in prayer. It's an assumption a lot of us have when we approach the will of God. We wrote this in your outline. Whenever we see something bad, of something, whenever we see something bad of experience, something, or, I'm sorry, I should be or. That's why I'm misreading that. Whatever we, whenever we see something bad, or if you can change that in your outline, experience something bad. How often does our mind go to what bad thing must have been done? If we experience something bad in our life. If we see something bad happen in someone else's life, how often does our mind go, what bad thing must have been done? 
Have we ever heard these words come out of our mouth? If a bad situation comes up, if things break, if things go wrong, if things aren't quite right, oh, what did I do to deserve this? Right? Because we think a bad thing deserves a bad response. Because our picture of God, he, he is up there, He is out there to punish everything bad and reward everything good. That is sometimes our picture of God. And so as soon as He sees us do something bad, He sends something bad in return. And as soon as we do something good, He sends something good in return. We get this idea and we, we adopt this viewpoint when we're training dogs. I didn't say cats because you can't train cats. You just got to live with them the way they are. But dogs you can train. Dog you can, you can shape and you can mold. If you don't like a particular behavior that the dog is doing, then you give it something bad. Something that it doesn't like. If it pees in the house, you smack it. You make a sound. You know, newspapers are great to smack dogs with because it doesn't hurt so much. But boy, that noise just irritates them a whole lot. They just don't like that noise at all. If they do something good, you've got a box full of goodies there and you give them one of those things. And, you know, the dog gets used to this. I've done something good. How many, how many of y'all taught your dog to lay down, sit, shake hands? And as soon as your dog does that, what is it, what is it expecting? I, want to re- I did it. Now give me the reward. Where's the reward? I did it. <laughs> give me the reward. And if it does something bad... How many of y'all know your dog knows when it's done something bad after a while? It learns, oh, I did something bad. And it's cowering. Why? Because it's expecting something bad. And we approach God with the same attitude. We think that God's a, God, a dog trainer. That's sometimes our view of God. And if we have that view of God, then it expects the way that we see things and how we experience things. We see the God as up there rewarding good and disciplining bad. And as soon as I step out of line, he is there to whack me and get me back in line. Why did I get this sickness or disease? Why did this thing break? How come this went wrong? Why did I lose my job? Oh, I must have done something. Right? How many of us we thought that? We see God this way. Well, if we see God this way, then when this happens and the bad thing comes, don't I see that as the will of God? And if I see it as the will of God, what am I going to do? Accept it? The disciples, we put this in your outline, the disciples' question is much like what people ask today. What was the cause of this effect? Because all effects have a cause, don't they? If I see a bad effect, it must have had a bad cause. must have been something going on there. Because things just don't happen. There had to be a reason. Especially if we get so lost in the sovereignty of God, everything that happens is for a reason. Everything that happens, God is trying to teach me something. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Because if He can get you to believe that, He's disarmed you. We were talking on Wednesday nights on the armor, the the one piece of armor that was talked about, the belt of truth. If the devil can undermine the truth of God's Word in your life, he takes away your defense. If he can get something that is truth, and mix it with something that's false and get you to believe it. He's undermined your defense. He did that with Adam and Eve. And we looked at a few other examples of people that he did that with. They have an assumption here the disciples have. The question is based on an assumption that someone sinned. 
Well, how many of y'all know people sin all the time? And not necessarily have the result that someone is born blind. Because if you really break down this question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Then could we also, wouldn't the opposite also be true? That everyone who is not born, plant, born blind is born from perfect parents and is perfect themselves. I mean, why wouldn't that be true if the other is true? But see, they've accepted this truth. They just accepted it. Well, this is the way it is. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Because obviously if he was born blind, someone sinned. Well, if, if the blindness is a result of someone sinning, then who did the blindness come from? If your assumption is that the blindness of the man came because someone sinned, whom did the blindness come from? Would, you, would it, part of this assumption not also be that God sent the blindness? Is a devil going to keep you from sinning? Is a devil going to punish you? Don't sin anymore. Here, be born blind. Isn't that an assumption that these guys are making? If a question we have is based on a false assumption, what would that make the answer? Any question that is based on a false assumption, if you come up with an answer to it, the answer will be false. Because the assumption was wrong. It happens in science. It happens in a lot of things. It happens in here where the, when you go to the Bible. When you ask God about a question, if your premise is false, if your assumption is false, then the answer you're going to come away with will also be false. But if you don't know that the assumption is false, then what happens? I accept the answer I get as truth. And now my belt of truth has been undermined and my defense is down. And the wrong things can get in. Assumptions are bad. Don't make assumptions. Have beliefs based upon truth. Have beliefs based upon what does the Word of God say on this. So, again, let's read it over. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, look what Jesus does. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming. Let's break this down here, first part. Jesus refutes the foundation of the question. And he answers the question that they are really asking. He refutes the whole foundation of it. Now, look at this. Now, we've taught on this verse before. I did know, looked over all my notes from all the years that we've been doing this. Uh, and I noticed I've never taught solely on this chapter. Never taught solely on this chapter, only as a part of something else. So today we're teaching solely on this chapter. We're, on, we're only in John chapter 9 tonight. Now look at the answer. Now if you were here before when we taught on this, you remember. In the original manuscripts, you are not holding the original manuscript, even if you have a King James Version. That is not the original manuscript. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering about that. The original manuscripts, when they first made these, paper was of a, uh, a hard thing to come by. And not everybody had a Bible at home. 
they would have scrolls and they would put the scrolls in the temple and you'd go to the temple and they would unroll the scroll and you would have a passage to read for the day and then they, you know, everybody could come into the synagogue and they could read the scroll and then they would unroll another section so you couldn't pick and choose what parts you wanted to read but you'd come into the synagogue and there was a section you could come in there and read it and then go on home and then come on back the next day and read some more. But when you read it, when they, when they punctuated this, they dropped it all out. Now, probably not in the original writings. But as they made copies of the manuscripts, they dropped out all punctuation to save space. So every time that you see a comma, a period, or punctuation, it is assumed by the translators. Every single punctuation mark in the scriptures is inserted by the translators. So, if you see a period, it doesn't mean necessarily that the sentence end, ended. If you see a comma, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's where it goes. Now, most of the time, I think they get it right because, you know, the, the language is such that you can pretty much figure out where, where a thing ends. But I want you to look at this. Jesus is always very good at answering the question at hand. Always very good at it. He answers the question at hand. When the disciples came to him in the end times, they asked him three questions. He answered three questions. Look at this. Jesus answered. This is his answer. Again, the punctuation is not original. What is the question? Go over the question again. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the question is, who's the sinner? Right? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents Sinned. Now, y'all have a comma there? Change it to a period. Did he not answer the question? The way you read it, the way it's punctuated right now, this is what you get out of it. Neither this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. In other words, he was born blind, not because he sinned, not because his parents sinned, but because the works of God need to be manifested. That's how it reads. If you put a comma in there. Because that makes that whole thing the answer. But if that's the case, then that means that God made people sick, blind, lame, and so forth in order to heal them and bring Him glory. Didn't Jesus Himself say that if I cast out devils by the power of Beelzebub, a house divided cannot stand? Well, is it not a house divided, according to Jesus' teaching? That if I'm making people sick and then making people well, that I shall not stand? That cannot be the meaning then, can it? Because that's not consistent with the rest of Scripture. Now, redo it this way. Put a period there. Neither this man nor his parents sin, period. But, new sentence. That the works of God should be revealed in him, comma, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Doesn't that completely change the meaning? In other words, sin was not the result. But, that the works of God should be revealed in him, I must work the works of him who sent me. Which would mean the works of him who sent me is not sickness, disease, blindness, and lameness. The works of him who sent me is healing. Right? Isn't that the will of God right there from what he's showing? I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work as long as I am in the world. I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed 
and came back singing. Now, you, you don't really have to ask the question, well, how did he get to the pool? The man's been blind since birth. He knows how to get around. <laughs> you know, blind people are, are not necessarily blind. We've, been, we've uh, watched a few times a show that comes on TV. Uh, I kind of enjoy it. Our favorite character on it, you all probably know this show if I tell you the character, is Augie. Anybody know who Augie is? Oh, I'll tell you what, he is fun. He's a blind guy. I don't know that he's truly blind. I think he actually sees. But he plays a blind guy. He is spectacular. Oh, I love the way that he does things. and what he, he makes the whole show. If he ever goes off the show, we're just, we'll stop watching it. We won't watch it anymore. But the, the times we do get to see it, it is kind of fun. He's a blind guy, and there's no place he can't go. He, he gets there. He, he's just fine. Blind people can move around. Blind people can get places. They overcome some problems. So he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back. Seen. Now the story gets to be fun. You think it was fun up to now? Now it really gets to be fun. In verse 8, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. <laughs> How many of you have neighbors and don't even know who they are? Uh, yeah. yep. See, you're not alone. It's not something new to this day. He's got neighbors and said, I don't know, it kind of looks like him. It might be him. I'm not real sure. <laughs> no, we got, we know the neighbors to the right of us. We know the neighbors to the left of us. We know the neighbors across the street from us. And a handful of others. But we know the one to the right to the one to the left and one across the street real well. But not so much the others. <laughs> don't see them as, as much. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen him that he was blind they'd seen him before but they're not so sure i'm not sure if that's him because the guy we saw you know he's blind this guy's not blind can't be this can't be the same guy some said this is he other said well he just looked must have a twin brother i don't know he looks like him and he said no i'm the guy i was the blind guy so when he said that he identified himself i'm the blind guy how were your eyes opened? That would be a natural question. If you knew the guy and he was blind and he's not blind anymore, you would naturally ask him, how'd that happen? You were blind. And understand this, it's not just the disciples that have this assumption. Other people had the same assumption. And they're all probably talking about it. Because, you know, when you have assumptions about other people, the easiest folks to talk to about it are other people <laughs> not the one that you had the assumption about no one probably ever went up to the guy and said did you sin or did your parents sin that you got born this way probably none of them ever did but they probably talked to the neighbors i wonder who sinned i think it was his parents i've seen them i know who they are <laughs> i think it was them well i don't know have you seen the way this guy conducts himself? i don't know he's kind of a nasty guy he could have been that way when he was you know in the womb hmm how were your eyes open? He said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. I want you to notice something that the man left out. Look at what he left out. A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. What did Jesus actually do? 
Verse 6, when he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and anointed his eyes of the blind man with the clay. The blind man skipped the part. Now, there's a couple of reasons why he might have skipped this part. First off, he's blind and didn't see. You know, it's a whole lot easier for someone to put clay in your eyes when you don't know it was made from spit. Isn't it? <laughs> I don't think that's a thing for this time, of this age. I don't think people like spit ever. He could have heard it too. Maybe Jesus was a quiet spitter though. I don't know. So that could be it. Or he didn't want the stigma of somebody spat on his eyes. So he just left that part out. But do understand, it got left out. John here is telling us what the man said, not what happened. He's telling us what the man said. man called Jesus made clay and opened my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Understand this though. The part that he got right and the part that Jesus said he did, he anointed my eyes. He understood he didn't just put mud on his eyes. He anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. You know, the, the teenagers, uh, long, well, kids, I guess when I was, uh, I heard people talking about, so there was some artist that was out there who took on a name and then he became the artist formerly known as. I think he was reading the Bible. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. <laughs> I think he was reading that got inspiration. I don't know that for sure. I just, you know, one of those things. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now, people f seem to fall into three groups. I say seem to. I'm not saying that they are locked into three groups. You might see a little migration between two groups, a little bit here and there. But I put three groups down here. Those who believe that God, through those who have faith in Jesus, is moving, saving, healing, and working in this world. That's one group. That those who have faith in Jesus, through people that have faith in Jesus, God is moving, saving, healing, and working in this world. That's one group of people. These people discover God's will and speak to situations. They find out what God wants to happen and they speak to situations. They tell mountains to move. They tell sickness to go, demons to leave, so forth. Then there's those who, those who believe that um, the that only cer the only certainty of God's will is that He saves sinners through faith in His name. Anything over that is a grace bonus. Do you know people like that? The only certainty we have in the name of Jesus is salvation. I can know that I'm saved, but you know, healing. Well, if it be the will of God. If God wills it, well, if it's not happening, maybe God just doesn't want that for you. You know, we, we get into those kind of things. These are the people who beg for answers to, in prayer to change their situations. They're always going to God, oh, God, please take this away. Oh, God, please remove this. Because they believe the only certainty is salvation. Now, again, you can have a little bit of it. Maybe they migrate a little bit over the other side and they believe one or two things. Maybe there's a little certainty on, but just giving you a generalized three groups here. So that's two. Then those who don't, 
who either don't believe in God or that He does anything in this world. Heathens. Unsaved. Now, the people in verse 8, going back over to verse 8, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? These people. How were your eyes opened? These people. are What, what group do you think they probably fit into? I kind of think they fit into the second group. They believe in salvation, but eh, not so sure that anything else is certain. They're probably one of the ones that had the assumption that, well, somebody sinned. Somebody's got to pay. I wonder how those people justify it because if somebody sinned and he was born blind, how is it that you see? Did you ever sin? What about the man? What group do you think the man is in? Well, I think he's moving over to group A. <laughs> the first group. I think he's, if he wasn't there before, I think he's moving there now. I think he's, he's moving over into that group. Then we come to the, the next group. That was a, a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. How many of you all know what that means? Depending upon, you know, what, how, you grew, how you grew up, which, you know, what kind of thing. If you are a Trekkie, this thing is, this verse is red alert, red alert. And you have that little siren, red alert. If you grew up on, you know, lost in space, you can write in there, danger, Will Robinson, danger, Will Robinson. If you're a Star Trek person or not, uh, 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 what is the other one? Star Wars. I have no idea. What they do. Because generally, people in sci-fi, you fall in one of two groups. Either you are a Trekkie or you are one of the others. And I, I was a Trekkie. Which, you know, Star Wars just never caught on with me. Never liked it. As if it's on, ah, yeah. But other people, you know, they love Star Wars. And if Trekkie stuff's on, ah, yeah. We corrupted my sister's kids when they were up here for a little while. She'd probably never send them back to me. We had them over for a little while, and they we were talking about Star Trek. We'd never seen it. You've never seen Star Trek. Oh, I've got one of my favorite episodes, and I have it on DVD. Can I show it to you? And so we sat them down, and we showed it to them. I've told you about that episode a number of times. It's the one that they repeat the same eight minutes over and over and over. And I showed it to them, and, oh, that's pretty neat. And right then, you know, somewhere around the time that the movie the, new, the, the last Star Trek movie they did came out, and we had that on DVD. And I said, this is probably the greatest Star Trek movie ever. And we put it on, they fell in love with it, and now they went on home, and my sister says, now they're Trekkies. They like to watch Trek stuff. <laughs> She's not happy. She's not happy. <laughs> oh, my. See, now it was a Sabbath. When Jesus made the clay and opened their eyes. So what he's warning you is, he's setting up the stage. He's saying, red alert, red alert. It is the Sabbath day that all this went on. So we had the first group, the people. We had the other guy, the, the other group, the man who was healed. Red alert, red alert. Now we're getting to the third group, the Pharisees. Red alert, red alert. It's the Sabbath. Because it doesn't matter... To the people, it doesn't matter to the man that it's the Sabbath day, but to the Pharisees, red alert, danger Pharisees, danger. 
Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And they said to him, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Now, I don't know if he's just getting tired of telling this story, and he's just abbreviating it now, or if the writer is abbreviating it for us. Not really sure which way it goes, but we, we know the gist of it. He put clay on my eyes, I washed, and I see. Still leaving out the spit part. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Why is he not from God? This man's not from God. Why? Why is he not from God? He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Now, when they say he doesn't keep the Sabbath, what are they meaning? That they're doing some things on the Sabbath that are not lawful. Are there any, is there anyone here who has read through the entire Old Testament at least one time? All right, what to work on the rest of you? You should by now. In reading through the Old Testament, was there any place in the Old Testament, in the law, that designated, do not heal on the Sabbath? So what law are they talking about? Talking about their law. The laws that they made up, because in order to help keep the laws that are in the Bible, they made other laws to help you out. You know, it's the beginning of government bureaucrats. It is the beginning. Right here, we see it. All right, we understand that those laws are hard for you to keep, so we have come up with 7,000 other laws to help you keep those. If you keep these 7,000, you will find that you will keep about the 200 or so laws that are in the, New Te- or the Old Testament. Isn't that what we do? We don't have bills anymore that are one and two pages. We have bills that are thousands of pages. We have bills that senators say, I can't read it. These are the people who are supposed to vote for the thing. I can't read it. Something wrong with how we're writing the bills. I thought the senators were supposed to write the bills. Apparently that doesn't happen anymore. Other people write the bills. They can read it, but the senators can't. They just tell the senators which way to vote. (laughs) I don't know that that sounds so good to me. But anyway, this is what we're seeing here. That the Pharisees came up with a whole mess of laws to help you with with the Sabbath ones. And I don't know if they actually specifically wrote in, Thou shalt not heal on the Sabbath day. Because really no one was doing it. Right? Well, you know, if, when, you had, when you first came out with model cars, somebody just sent me the email. I think my, my, my wife did. She sent me the email. When the first car came out, it went 10 miles per hour. You did not need a speed limit sign. You didn't need police officers chasing after people for speeding. Could you imagine that, Chase? Ten miles an hour going after ten miles an hour. I think it would be better if you get out of the car and run after him. <laughs> Just run after the guy. Hold up. <laughs> yeah, get on a horse. There you go. Ten miles an hour. You did not need a speed limit sign. I, I, if people were not healing, folks, I don't think they needed a law that says, Thou shalt not heal on the Sabbath, because probably no one was healing. But they decided to put healing into a category of work. They may not have thought about it until Jesus came along, but now that Jesus came along and was healing on the Sabbath, we can't have that, that's work. Hmm. See, it's just because they can't do it. But there's nothing in the Word of God that says, Thou shalt not heal on the Sabbath. I just wanted a few other witnesses out there to confirm that. This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. We're not looking at what he does. 
We're not looking to see if the anointing of God is on him. We're not seeing if the call of God is on him. The fact that he does not keep our laws means he's not from God. I mean, catch this. The fact that he does not keep our laws means he is not from God. Hmm. Well, how many times have we made assumptions, folks, about, about things? And because it doesn't come up with our assumptions... I mean, for a while, folks, wasn't it assumed, an assumed law in the church, that thou shalt have no other music except that that comes from an organ? Was that not a, a, a law? When did anyone ever bring in drums? <gasps> they have drums at that church. In fact, they have a whole drum set. And a drummer. They have guitars at that church. Electric guitars. Heathens. Can't believe they have electric and bass guitars. And the other one, down, it, down a little further down, they have bongo drums. May God save their souls. How many of y'all enjoyed that hymn with the guitars and stuff like that? I know some folks will hear that and they say, oh, they just ruined a nice song. Where's the organ? Where's the organ? I didn't hear any organ in that song. That song needs to have an organ. I thoroughly enjoyed that song. But you see, if you have the wrong assumption, as soon as you hear it, because of it, that can't be from God. Now, when I was growing up, you know, I was, my, I tell you the bad stories, and most of them are true. <laughs> and you all feel for my parents and the stuff they had to go through. But there are a number of things I did not put them through. I mean, they're... they're you can count them on one hand, I understand. But there are a number of things I did not put them through. They didn't have any trouble with me with drugs. They didn't have any trouble with me with smoking. They didn't have any trouble with me with cursing. They, were, they, were, they never had any trouble with that. And another thing they never had any trouble with me was, I never listened to the radio. Music was not a temptation to me. I never listened to the radio. Didn't listen to secular music. I didn't listen to any music. None. Because I was always outside playing football, hockey, stuff like that, you know, important things, not sitting around listening to music. I didn't mess with it. Until one day, a youth group I was in went away to the Jesus Festival. And at the Jesus Festival, there was an artist who was not there. He was not there. He was not allowed to come back. He was not there. But his music was. He was out the year before, convicted too many people, and they wouldn't bring him back. So he was gone. And so the kids that I was out there with, the youth group I was out there with, they told me about this guy. And so I said, oh, but it's a, he has wonderful stuff. So I bought his, are you ready for this? Cassette tape. Music cassette tapes. This is, you know, back in the day. Music cassette tapes. Can you believe they actually put music on cassette tapes? Is one thing, you know, we know the teaching goes on. Music on cassette tapes. And so I came back with a couple of their cassette tapes. And I remember the day, you know, I was listening to it. I, was, I put it down. My dad had this big speaker system downstairs. And I put it on. I was listening on the big speaker system. And my dad came in the room. We don't have that kind of music in here. Because I had never listened to anything before. And now all of a sudden, here's their son listening to this music. And it has, you know, beats and stuff like that to it. And I said, but dad, it's a Christian song. 
And, you know, they, they were at least open-minded enough, and they, they listened to stuff. Well, it turned out, you know, they, I don't know if they ever loved all of his music. I loved all of his music. But they, liked, they began to like some of it, and they really got like to his, his ministry, became supporters of his ministry. Well, the man was Keith Green, Last Days Ministries. And uh, he was, he was uh, very powerful in uh, some of the influence he had in my life. And, and they, he was not a faith man. He was against faith teaching. It's what got him killed. I don't know if you knew that, but that's what got him killed. He died as a result of because he did of his beliefs. I remember the day I was down and down and going. To, I was attending Rima. I was in my apartment and over the news. Paul Harvey. Good day. <laughs> Y'all remember him? He came over with the news report and he said, "Singer songwriter Keith Green died today in a plane crash." He had his own personal plane. He flew around because of his ministry and things he had to go. He had his own personal plane. And one of his, his children had a dream. He said, Dad, I think the, I have a dream that the plane is going down. He said, Nonsense. We're not going down. We're... God doesn't speak to people that way. He got on the plane with all of his children. His wife was on the runway, pregnant with their what would be their last child. She saw the plane go up, and she saw the plane go down. They overloaded the plane. They had a couple of warnings. It wasn't just that warning. They had a couple of warnings. He refused to hear them. He was anti-faith. He was good for a lot of things. But he was anti-faith. He did not believe in the things that the faith message taught. And he died as a result. You be careful, the things you uh, assume about it. He had an assumption there of uh, the faith message. And so he would not hear anything that came along that sounded like it. Now, after I got into Keith Green, my music taste did increase, and I began listening to more. If you know anything about me now, a few people I've talked to the music about, there's really only two, two groups of music that I listen to. Worship music and classical music. I don't listen to anything else. I got the classical stuff from my dad. I didn't know that at the time I was growing up. He used to play it all the time. Played classical music, and I know I was like any other kid. I didn't like it. <laughs> but I remember after I moved down and I was going away, he used to always play this uh, this particular piece. And um, it's Handel's, Handel's Messiah. Oh, I love Handel's Messiah. But, you know, I, I heard it so many times. He played it so many times at the house, and I heard it. And then I would go to places. One time we were up at King's College, and we went to, um, uh, what is the Army facility up there, the school? Uh, up in New York, West Point. West Point. I knew, yeah, West something. I couldn't think of it. We went to West Point and heard their choir with all the organs and all, the, and they came on in and they did it. And I, felt, I left disappointed. Everybody else came out of there in awe, and I came out of there disappointed. I said, "That's not as good as what I've heard. What I heard was better." And then the Christian music. They came out with one that was by the London Philharmonic. And I listened to that and I said, "I just came out disappointed." I said, "That's not as good." Now I don't have the ear for music. My dad does. My dad will pick stuff out and, oh, I'll tell you what, he can, he can, he told me before he was good enough at, at one point that when a piece was played, he could tell you who was conducted and what orchestra did it before you ever told him. I have never gotten to a place that good and probably don't ever dream to be, but <laughs> he was, he was quite good at that. And so I began to realize, hmm, nothing's good. So I, I went on a search. I, I knew what, what the recording was and I went on a search and then uh, I think the internet came along, come on board got a hold of the internet and found the exact recording 
one CD. Burned it onto my computer and I've had it ever since. Eugene Normandy conducting the Philadelphia Orchestra, in my opinion, is the best rendition of Handel's Messiah that I have ever heard and may ever hear. It was phenomenal. I just, he just played it growing up and nothing ever came up to, to that level. And then since, since then, I also picked up my dad. We've driven some places. And I have classical music in the car playing because if it's just me in the car, that's what's playing. And uh, he would uh, tell me some things about some of the songs we're playing. We had some good conversations and all that. But that's my extent of my, my music. But assumptions. Assumptions can get you killed. But beside that, assumptions, assumptions can get you to ask the wrong questions and get the wrong answer. But think the answer is the right answer. Assumptions can hurt you badly. But you've got to know what they are. Fortunately for the disciples, they were willing that when Jesus pinpointed their assumption and he knocked it off, neither this man nor his parents sinned, they listened. But the Pharisees have an assumption. This man is not from God because he doesn't keep our law. That assumption, folks, can get them killed because they don't have faith for what they need to have faith for. And they're having belief in what they need to have belief for. They said to the blind man again, verse 17, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Well, he knew he's something. I don't know that he was necessarily thinking it, but how many times have you been in a situation that somebody says, What do you think about that? I don't know. I guess he's a prophet. I don't know what he's not a Pharisee. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. <laughs> all right, you've got all the people, all the neighbors, and the man. I was blind, but now I see. Now, understand this. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people that are supposed to be taking care of those in the city for their needs, do not know a man who is born blind. They don't know him. How much care are they giving to the people who need it? They do not know this man. The neighbors, the people in the city, they know him. They weren't quite sure. Well, is it him? Is it, it looks like him. But they, I, they don't know him. I don't even think you were blind. You're just coming in here telling us this story. They didn't believe he was blind. And that he received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. Where, go get your parents. I want, where are the parents of this guy? Let's bring them on in here and let's talk, about, talk to them. And they asked them, saying, is this your son? Yes, this is our son. How many of you all have sons that you don't, don't necessarily want to say that about? <laughs> is this your son? Who you say was born blind. Can you, can you hear the sarcasm? Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? If you're saying he was born blind, how is it that he's seeing now? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes? We do not know. He's of age. Ask him. <laughs> he will speak for himself. In other words, we want no part of this. Mm -mm. Son, you are on your own. We are not helping you out. We will back up what we can do. He's our son. He was born blind. How he is now, we don't know. He's just, uh, he's obviously seeing now, but um, we know that he wasn't before. Go ask him what happened. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. 
For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Understand this on this, if you can get this concept down. Their fear of the Jews was greater than their love for their son. Go back in the Old Testament. Daniel's fear of the king was not greater than his love for God. Because you can see which one wore out. I bore out at the end. His, his friend's love for God was greater than their fear of the king. You don't have to play that music again. We'll tell you right now. We will not bow to your golden image. Toss us in the fiery furnace if you want to. We're not going to bow. You see, you can always tell which is greater, your fear or your love. Because when they match up head to head, you'll see which one wins. Your little test for us all to do in our own life, huh? If you are fearing something, that means your love for the other is not great enough. Doesn't the Word of God say, perfect love, cast out all fear. You want to get over the fear, figure out the love better. You see, there are some situations that we fear because we don't understand God's love the way that we should. If we understood how much He loved us, we wouldn't fear. But I'm not sure how much He loves us. I'm not sure. Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to die? Is this going to happen? I'm not sure of His love. Where do we leave off at? 23? Therefore, His parents said, He is of, he is of age. Ask Him. So what group do you think the Pharisees are in? <laughs> I think they're kind of down there in that third one, aren't they? Maybe they have a little bit of migrating up to believe in something there, but not much. You can see a reluctance of the people to make a stand on what they believe, can't you? Because of fear. Now, we already went over this, but what is the basis for judging that Jesus is not from God? Because He doesn't respect our law. The law that they were concerned about here is the law of the Sabbath. A good way to discern if a person is of God or not is to look at their attitude. That's a real good way to discern. Look at the attitude of the Pharisees. Do you see a whole lot of care for people? With God, do you see a whole lot of care for people? Yeah. When you don't see the same attitude that's in God in whatever is in question, then it can't be that much of God. Because the more of God we are, the more like Him we become. We adapt His attitudes. We adapt His love. We adapt His priorities. We adapt His things of importance. The more of those things I bring into my life, the more like Him I become. The Pharisees basically have the idea, we all are up here and you all are nothing. That's a wrong attitude. That's not one that Jesus has. Jesus is always among the people. Helping the people. Doing things for them. He would have been with the Pharisees too, but they decided to resist it. So you see the attitude of the Pharisees. You see the attitude of Jesus. Jesus is out there. He's just helping people. Loving people. Helping them out. Sees people have a misconception, an assumption. He straightens them out. 
How about the man who was formerly blind? We see his attitude is, is changing towards things. He's open. Got to have that openness that's there. Let's keep it out of verse 20, 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. Now you can spend some time studying the word know there because in particular this is one we don't get into a whole lot. But they are, they are basically declaring, we know. <laughs> it's not something we know by experience. It's not something we know by the Spirit of God. They're just saying, you know, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. <laughs> Isn't this great? Uh, I don't know. You guys want to mess with all the doctrine and stuff like that. And say, I don't know about all that. This is what I do know. I was blind. I'm not anymore. Before I couldn't see. Now I can see. This is the guy that did it. I don't know what kind of a guy he is. I don't know where he comes from. But this is the guy. I was blind. You guys didn't do anything all this time. But he did. First time I see him. Well, didn't really see him. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I'll tell you what, I, I love it when people answer press people like this. I told you already and you did not listen. You know, there, there are times I have wanted to be a world-class athlete for one of those crazy reporters to come up and ask you one of those stupid questions. Y'all know what those are? I mean, they ask, how does it feel to have won the gold medal? Man, disappointing. Man, I just feel sad. <laughs> what do you want them to say? <laughs> I've often wanted to go to these people who, and do you went to school to learn how to ask questions like this? Really? You went to school to learn how to ask questions like this? Hmm. Every once in a while you find those people who just answer media people so well. You just want to listen to them. There was a guy in the, uh, the, the last election. He didn't uh, get very far. But, oh, I loved when, he would, when the media would ask him a question because if it was a stupid question, he'd tell him. He'd just tell him. That's a stupid question. I can't think of the guy's name right now. Uh, I would have loved the chance to vote for him but, in the primary, but he never made it to, to our state. Uh, he's the guy who came from that show, um, Law and Order show or something like that. I don't watch the show, so I don't. But uh, he was good. A couple of guys this year, I've loved the way that they answered. Some of them don't seem like they're going all that far. But um, Fred Thompson, yeah, he was he was real good. Uh, Herman Cain, have you heard him answer the, re the? Oh, I love. His. I could sit there all day and listen to his answers. He's just wonderful. I hope he gets further. I haven't seen the catch hold a whole lot, but oh, he answers media people. I just want to see them. Ask ask him another question. Call ask him another one. <laughs> I want to see him answer. Look at what he does. Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, I was born blind, and now I see. How did he open your eyes? I told you already. You did not listen. There are times people keep asking you questions, stupid questions. How did you get healed? How's this going? What's going on? And they ask you questions that the answer would be doubt, doubt and unbelief. In order to answer their question, you'd have to get into doubt 
and unbelief. Sometimes you just need to tell people, stop asking the question. I'm not going to give you a different, another answer. If you're, going, if you're going around and you are believing God for your healing. And someone says, but you're not healed. Are you healed yet? Stop asking the question. Sometimes you just need to be tough with those people. I don't care if they're believers or not. Sometimes you just need to get in their face and you say, you know what? That's a question founded on unbelief. Stop asking. Because I'm not giving you an unbelief answer. You get with them, you get in their face enough, they'll stop asking you the question. They'll still talk about it to other people. Who do you think sinned, this man or his parents? You know, I don't know. I, you know. They may still do that, but they won't talk about you. They won't talk about it to you. I told you already, you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? I love this part. This is the, this is the Herman Cain, Fred Thompson type of an answer. Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> I love this. It's like, oh, go get him. <laughs> he's, he's picking up a little bit of Jesus here on this. All right, you want to ask me a question? Here's a question for you. Why do you keep asking me? Do you, want to, do you also want to become his disciples? Look at this. The whole answer is beautiful. Do you also? Which means, I have. He's getting bolder as this is going on. I have. Do you also? Want to become, do you need me to tell you how to become a disciple, Pharisee? Leader of the church, do you want me to get there and tell you how? I mean, I just got my sight today. I just met this guy today. But if you need me to sit down and talk to you. <laughs> oh, I love this answer. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciple? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. Boy, doesn't that sound spiritual? They are Moses' disciple because Moses brought the law. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to him, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. <laughs> he's just getting bolder and bolder as he's going. This is great. I mean, it's, it's all of a sudden, it's like this guy, fear is just falling off of him. And he is just falling in love with this guy who opened his eyes. And all of a sudden, he's just getting bolder and bolder. Oh, this is a marvel. I mean, this is people that everyone else in the story is afraid of. His parents are afraid of him. The people, the neighbors are afraid of him. And, all of a, and he was afraid at first, too. But now he's getting bolder and bolder and bolder and bolder. Mm. Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This man is off the charts now. He just, it's like the anointing of God hit him and he's just speaking and words are coming out. He is on fire. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. He says, we know. That means you guys, we all know, right? God doesn't hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. 
since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone, includes you guys, religious leaders, that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Before, he says, I don't know where he's from. Now, what's he saying? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. <laughs> he's, getting, he's getting strong. Whew. We just want to keep on going. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? Notice this, folks. When people cannot deal with the truth that you speak, they come after you personally. This is what they do. They do it in politics. They do it in the media. They do it with Christians. They do it with believers of all sorts. If they cannot answer the truth that you speak, they come against you personally. If there is anyone in this country that our news media or our politicians attack personally, you better step up and listen to what they say. Because they are telling you, this is truth. It's the stuff we can't deal with. Don't ever let the media say, don't listen to this preacher. That Fred Price character out there in California, oh, he's a heathen. You see, they don't deal with the truth that they speak, the truth that they teach. What do they deal with? They want to attack you personally. Let's deal with the truth that people say. What is it that they say? Because as soon as they can't deal with it, it's been a, the same thing people have done for years. And these guys are doing the same thing. If you can't deal with the truth, then discredit the person. Discredit the person. That's what they want to do. You all be, uh, be in prayer, going off on a political thing one more time. How many of y'all know is Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas? Be in prayer for the man. He is under attack. The, the, the red alert has gone out, and he is under attack. This man, he is, he's very quietly done some things in this country, folks. He almost single-handedly resurrected the Second Amendment. His work that he has done on the bench has almost single-handedly resurrected the Second Amendment. He has now turned his focus on the Tenth Amendment. And they have treated him and talked about him like he's a dummy all his time. And now they just sounded the alert in, a, in an article I think the political put out. He is not a dummy. He is very smart. And he's getting some things done. Be aware. Be careful because they're, they're going to come after this guy. I've loved him since the time he was put on the court. He has been... Have you ever read one of his briefs? Mm. The man serves God, honors his family, loves his country. Be in prayer for him. Just let you know, there's a, there's attacks that are coming. They are targeting some of these people. And, and because of his stand for the things... I mean, you, they don't, you, don't, you have to actually go after to hear things about Clarence Thomas because they just don't uh, say that much about him. But he is doing, a, he's doing a, the Lord's work to help our country. And we can uphold him in prayer in that. He answered and said, uh, where did we leave off at? Verse 34. Jesus heard. Let's read 34 again. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins and you are teaching us. And they cast him out. They cast him out. 
If they can't deal with you, then they try and get you out of their group. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, what's that mean? He looked for him. Jesus heard that they cast him out. And Jesus went and looked for him. Because you don't find something unless you... Right? They're looking for it. Even if you're not deliberately... How many times have you said, Oh, look what I found. I may not have been looking for it at that time, but I had set my sights on this, that as soon as I find it, out in the store, all of a sudden you found the, the shirt, shoes, pants, dress, whatever it is that you're looking for. Oh, look what I found. You don't find things you are not searching for. Jesus was searching for them. Look what he found. He said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? I think this is interesting because he doesn't go over anything about the Pharisees. Do you not like the Pharisees either? Could you see some people doing that? Are you against the Pharisees too? Me too. They don't like me either. He doesn't do that. Not talking about the Pharisees. Do you believe in healing too? I believe in healing. Doesn't do that, does he? What's he do? Do you believe in the Son of God? Now, he's not saying, do you believe in God? He's saying, do you believe in the Messiah? Are you looking for a Messiah? Do you believe? If you believe in the Messiah, then you're looking for him because they know he hasn't come yet. They're looking for Messiah. Do you believe in the Son of God? That's what he's saying with this. Are you looking for Messiah? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, now, he does not do this. Jesus does not do this. But he does it here. You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. When was the last time Jesus ever came out to say, I'm the Messiah? He doesn't do that. Even John says, are you him? Are you the Messiah? Go back and tell John the things that are going on. The sick, he, or the sick are healed, blind see, lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. Just go back and tell him what's going on. But here he says, I am he, basically. Then he said to him, Lord, I believe. Can you see the awakening that is happening to this guy? He would start off the day normal, blind. He got his sight. And after he got his sight, he was fearful. He begins to fall more into belief, more into faith. And now, his physical eyes are open but his spiritual eyes can see something because if somebody just walked up to you and said, I am the Messiah, wouldn't we greet that with skepticism? But he says, Lord, I believe. My, in other words, he has to be saying something like this. My spirit is telling me that, you, that this is right, that you're it. We've already been awakened in the spirit because you could see how he got bolder and he starts saying stuff that he really doesn't know. <laughs> he just starts speaking these things. Lord, I believe, and he, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see me, or see, may see. That those who do not see, may see. Is he talking about blindness? No. He is not. This man didn't see spiritually before. Now, he sees physically and spiritually. That those who do not see may see, and those who see may be blind. Jesus is not whispering this. Look at the next verse. Then some of the Pharisees who 
were with him heard these words. Jesus is not hiding this. He's right out there. He doesn't say, oh, wait a minute. Come on over here. Let's get away from the Pharisees. Come on over, uh, come on over this way. Let's have a talk over here. He doesn't do that. Pharisees are right there. He just says, that's why I came. And the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. What I see, folks, reveals my sin or it reveals my belief. It reveals what I believe. Your spiritual eyes are to be opened. When they're opened, you can believe. When your spiritual eyes are open to know what the will of God is, then you can believe. When your spiritual eyes are open to know what the will of God is, you can also disbelieve, and that's where the sin is. To disbelieve what God says is His will is sin. To disbelieve what God said is sin. If God said it, then we need to believe it. Now, when something comes to or upon me, will it stay? If sickness and disease, if poverty, if uncertainty, if fear, the list goes on. Whatever the list is in your life, if it comes on me, will it stay? Well, if we question it, is this really what God wants? Is this really what God has for me? If we accept it, if I accept it, it's staying, isn't it? Whatever it is that comes my way, if I accept it, that this is the way that it is, it's going to stay. If I question it, it may not, but it also may. I can't just be in a place where I question it. I can't just be in a place where I accept it. I have to get into a place where I believe for something promised that is different. If I believe for something promised that is different from what I have, I have a chance of changing it. Because belief will overcome. What is it that you fear? What is it that causes fear in you? Get some wisdom and revelation from God. Father God, what is the love on the other side? What is the love that I need to have? I hope this story burns in your memory for this. Here's a man who was fearful at first and became bold in the end. Love does not take forever to grow. The man was fearful as the day started. But by the time the day ended, he got kicked out and he didn't care. He did not care. And when Messiah came and he did one of the things he did to hardly anyone else, do you believe in the Son of God? Are you looking for him? I sure am. But who is he? He's the guy in front of you. He's the guy talking to you. I believe, Lord. What a change in the man. The change was not so much in the his eyes were opened. But that's what the focus of the story is. The change from the inside of him. He stopped being fearful of those around him. He stopped wondering about what the will of God is. He accepted what God had done. And he let God speak through him. And he spoke the things that came to him. And what truth from the things that he spoke? What truth? But what did he, how did he know this? Because he began to, and one day, he began to learn how to hear in his spirit and to speak those things out. In one day. 
How many of y'all say that this man has put some of us to shame? In one day, he got to this place. That means, folks, no matter what situation we have seen ourselves in, it can change. Joseph's situation changed in one day. This man's situation's changed in one day, and it wasn't just that his eyes got opened up. It was a whole lot more. But you've got to know the will of God. If you have a wrong assumption, if you assume that this is here for our purpose, if you assume God has brought this on me, then you won't fight it. You need to go to the Word of God and find out what does the Word of God say is His will. What does the Word of God say is the will of God? And that's what I hang on to. What are the assumptions that I have that have compromised what I'm learning? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There's an awful lot of times, folks, we have assumptions brought right into our prayers. And those assumptions will hold us back. But Jesus will speak to them. He'll answer you, clear them up for you. If you do not think a thing is the will of God for you, you won't accept it. But if the devil can get you to believe that what you're going through is the will of God for you, you accept it and you receive it. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God.